Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Ladies and gentlemen, this is the 12th and final round. It's facts. I'm the best. You know what I mean? I sometimes I don't want to believe in myself, but it's the truth. I'm the best. I'm going to show you how great I am. From Southern California, this is the Last Round Podcast. Welcome to episode 100 of the Last Round Podcast. No Danny Z today, but I managed to drag kicking and screaming to do the 100th episode with me, the editor-in-chief of The Ring Magazine, Dougie Fisher. What's up, Mike? All good, all good. How's things over at uh, The Ring Magazine? I saw you just released the uh, special edition Tyson Fury episode. Yeah, yeah. We uh, Well, that was actually, um, that, that wasn't one of our special editions. Um, that was just the most recent edition um, and the last magazine of 2020, uh, our December 2020 edition, um, which I believe it's it's mailing out to subscribers now. But yeah, I've seen people... Uh, get it in the mail and 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 tweet a picture of the cover. But uh, the cover is, uh, you know, the the number one and two heavyweights in the world, um, Tyson Fury and Anthony Joshua. And in our humble opinion, that's pretty much the biggest fight to be made in boxing. Of course, the question is, will it be made? Will it happen? That's true. It's looking like with the local news that you know Bob Arum and I think even Frank Warren have kind of touched on that. That could be the next fight with Deontay Wilder, either not willing or not able to fight in December. Yeah, we're gonna get teased for months. <laughs> that's just how it is in boxing, you know. <laughs> you know, we'll get our hopes up. Like, you know, you know what? That's gonna be the next heavyweight fight. That's gonna be the next fight, or you know, or or Tyson Fury will have a tune-up in, in December, and then they'll get it on at least once, maybe twice in 2021. Um, but there is the matter of there's, there's contractual ab- obligations that Fury has with Team Wilder and the PBC. Um, and there are um, sanctioning body obligations that um, Anthony Joshua has. I mean, that's that's the problem with, you know, everybody wants an undisputed champion in an age of uh, four major world titles. But there's a burden that comes with holding multiple major sanctioning organization belts and that is you have to satisfy those uh, mandatory challengers sometimes the mandatory challenger is worthy usually they're not <laughs> i mean and that and that's what makes it really painful for a hardcore fan is when the fight that we want to see is anthony joshua against tyson fury and 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 we have the boxing industry the boxing world telling us yeah you're going to get that, but right after you see Joshua versus Pulev. Mm-hmm. We're like, why? You're like, well, Pulev is the IBF mandatory. And again, unless you're just a, a nutty fan, you know, you're just like, why is, is Pulev, why is Kubrat Pulev number one? In, in, in anybody's rankings, can, can, is there anybody with the IBF 
I don't know who sits on their ratings committee. Nobody knows. We don't know. Do you know? Do you know anybody? I know some people who work for the IBF, but I don't know anybody who's like on their, their ratings panel. Do they have a ratings panel? I would imagine they have rankings, right? So who comes up with that? And how do you justify that? I don't get it. The same thing. It's, it's in almost every division, especially when you get a unified champion. When you get it, you get a guy like um, at light heavyweight last year, we had this incredible performance in a great fight with, uh, between uh, Artur Betterbiev and uh, Alexander Vozdik, right? Yeah. Betterbiev just grinded him down, but it was a great matchup of styles for seven, you know, seven or eight rounds. And, and, and then the Russian just kind of overwhelmed the Ukrainian and he unified the IBF and the WBC uh, light heavyweight titles and, and, and advanced in ring magazines rankings from like number four or five, all the way to number one. Right. And so at that point, what everybody wanted to see is a unification. And one of the, the title holders is uh, Dimitri Bivol, who's undefeated and he's young and he's got talent. And it's like, that's a good fight. You got better BF who's a little bit more mature and he's physical and he's grizzled and he's a pressure fighter. And he's got this great amateur background. And then you got Bivol who's like, not as, not as grizzled, not as hard, but he's got feet. And he's got speed and he's got the stick and move style. And you're like, oh, that's going to be an awesome fight. And they both say, oh, they want to fight. And they're undefeated. And it's not one of these fights that it's going to take like $15 million, you know, to get them in the ring together. And then we got, again, we got the boxing industry saying, um, no, better be if you have this IBF mandatory. <laughs> and, and, and fans are like, fans are like, who? Uh, this guy from China. And you got to go to China to fight him. You know, and it's like, and then you look up this guy's name. I can't even think of it at the moment. And there's no reason for me to, because that guy's not, he's not, he's not in Ring Magazine's rankings. He's not top 10. He's not in ESPN.com's rankings. He's not in the Transnational Boxing Ratings Board's top 10 at 175 pounds. But if you, if you look up the IBF rankings and you find this guy's name and you copy and paste it, and then you put it in uh, YouTube and you see the guy's fights, He's not good. <laughs> he totally suck, but he's not. He's like, there's no way he should be in the top 10, let alone number one. So it's like, how, how does this guy, how can they explain to me how this guy got to the number one position? Who did he beat to be number one? And for him to be mandatory for a fighter as awesome as better be of. It doesn't make any sense. It just sucks. But that's the boxing world. That's that's That will forever sort of keep it marginalized stuff like that. The fact where it's so hard to get like a universally recognized champion, you know, and on that rare occasion where you get an undisputed champion, then you want to see that undisputed champion fight the best out there, you know, kind of like what we have with Vasily Lomachenko. I think most of us recognize him as the lightweight champion. He's ring magazines, lightweight champion, and he's got the, the WBA belt, the WBO belt. He had the WBC belt, but then, they had to go and be a sanctioning organization and make him franchise, <laughs> and then, you know, whatever, you know, give 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 uh, the regular title to uh, Devin Haney. Most of us look at him as the man at 135, and he's fighting a real a contender, you know. But he's also he's a world title holder. But you know, if if Lomachenko's the champ, number one is is Teofimo Lopez. That's how the Ring Magazine has it. So 
that's what you want to see. But so often you'll have a like a, a unified champion and he may want to fight like the number one guy out there. But unfortunately, what we get is he's got these obligations for whatever the WBO belt, the IBF belt, the WBA belt, the WBC belt. And like I said, sometimes that mandatory challenger is a real dude. OK, but usually, unfortunately, it, they can't they can't really justify this guy being the num- the mandatory contender or like a top dog. Like there's like that guy, he didn't beat anybody to, to earn a shot at the at the real champ. So that's the situation that we have with the heavyweights. But from like now until until we see Tyson Fury in the ring, whether it's against Deontay Wilder or against whatever a tune up bout, um, we're going to be teased with Fury, Joshua and um that's fine as long as they eventually get it on and as long as it happens sometime next year. And I don't mind it being put off a little bit to next year because I do think that's one of those fights that really needs to have a live audience, really needs to, you know, maybe it can't be a, a stadium at capacity, but I feel like it needs to be where a lot of people can be there and and, and really be a part of that atmosphere. Obviously, yeah. the economics too. Yeah, I agree. I think it's looking like it won't be Wilder with the recent interviews with Bob Arum, Frank Warren, Tyson Fury's father, Eddie Hearn. Right, but that's all, but that's all the Fury side. What true. are we hearing from the Wilder side? I mean, that's one side of the story. It's true. And, you know, a contract is a contract. And I don't, I don't know. I mean, things can be worked out. I mean, you know, you can work out deals or whatever, but I don't know. We'll see. I mean, that's what the whole cover story is about is this fight needs to happen. There's no reason why it shouldn't um, be here are some roadblocks, you know, and we've seen, you know, unfortunately, you know, there have been like heavyweight showdowns that were naturals that never happened. Like Riddick Bowe versus Lennox Lewis. Like that was a natural. They had history going to the, to the Olympic finals, you know, and, and they were both undefeated and they were young and at the peak of their, their physical prowess and they had world titles or no, no, um, Riddick Bowe had all the world titles. And yeah. that, was a, that was an example of a, of a worthy mandatory. That was the WBC's mandatory, Lennox Lewis. And Riddick Bowe discarded, he abdicated the WBC title. And the fight just never happened. And um, that, that shouldn't have been. That, that, that fight should have happened. That's crazy. Well, let's jump into some fights that did happen. And then we'll preview the big fight hmm. next week of Lomachenko and... Uh, Teofimo Lopez. So this past Friday, the 9th from the bubble, MGM Grand Las Vegas on ESPN, we had Emmanuel Navarrete moved to 32-1 and with a unanimous decision over Ruben Villa for the vacant WBO featherweight. Villa was down in rounds one and round four. How, yeah. did, you see that? How did you see that one going beforehand, Dougie? Beforehand, I was one of those boxing hipsters that loved Ruben Villa. Mm. Um, I didn't think he would have his way with Navarrete but I thought he would outpoint him over 12 rounds. I thought he would rise to the, uh, to the occasion um, and, and out jab him, which he did, but I thought he would out jab him without getting clipped. And um, I have to, I have to say that I might've overestimated via a little bit, although I gained uh, a, a new appreciation for via um, in terms of his heart and his courage and his character and his, his metal to get up from, from two knockdowns. And that, that fourth round knockdown looked pretty hard and he was shaken up. And um, I thought from the sixth round on, I thought via 
even though he was losing rounds, I thought he gave a good account of himself. Mm. So I was impressed with that. So I have a new appreciation for him, but I also have a new appreciation for Navarrete, who I was never that high on, as, as, as good as he looked against... Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry. Sorry. We're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Dogbay twice. Isaac Dogbay twice. And as active as he was, which I really appreciated. I admired that. But when I looked at him... I didn't admire his ability enough. I was just looking at him as a tough guy, a durable, tall, rangy fighter with heavy hands, um, but somebody who didn't have that much in the way of craft. And I was wrong about that. Um, He has a higher boxing IQ than I gave him credit for. And I saw it against Via. I saw it against a crafty, somebody with an extensive amateur career and, um, a, a real, real good boxing foundation and a good skill set. I saw his boxing IQ, and it's not his boxing IQ isn't so much in his technique. He doesn't look pretty. He's, he's awkward, but boxing is about hitting and not getting hit. And he found ways to land his punches, and and but he still had that aggression and that volume punching. Um, and um, you know, I, I was now I I view him as like a top featherweight. Uh, and I viewed him as a top 122-pounder, um, but I thought if he tried to unify against the other 122-pound champions, I thought they, that they would beat him. Like, I thought somebody like like Ray Vargas, I thought Vargas would box the crap out of him. Now I'm not so sure. I don't know. You know, of course, Vargas a lot taller and rangier and moves a lot more than Villa does, so that would have been difficult for Navarrete. But I honestly, if you would have asked me, uh, whatever, a couple months ago, you know, who wins if Ray Vargas fights uh, Emmanuel Navarrete? I'd say Vargas wins nine rounds, you know, so, but now I don't know. Um, and now that he's a featherweight, I think he's live against any of the other featherweights, to be quite honest. I mean, he's a handful. Um, he's, he's like, I had described him going into the VIA fight as kind of like a featherweight Antonio Margarito in that he has a solid chin, heavy hands, it's pressure. And there's that volume, which is really hard for boxers. So I, I'm, I picked Via, but I thought it was going to be very tight, like a really close fight. Um, and um, it wasn't on my scorecard. Uh, my, mm-hmm. my scorecard, I think I had um, um, nine rounds to three for, for Navarrete. And I, so I had it uh, 117 to 109. So he, he won by a big point mm-hmm. spread. However, I will say this. Those two scores of 114-112, that's that's giving Via too much credit, but the scorecard of 115-111, it's not. I don't think it's terrible because on my scorecard, 
there were some rounds that I thought were close. And I made note of that. Like round six, I thought was close. I thought Navarrete won it, but I was like, man, Villa was in that round, right? So I make note of that. And there were some rounds down the stretch late in the fight, which surprised me because Villa had never been 12 rounds before. He'd just been 10 rounds a couple of times, you know? Uh, and so I'm, uh, there were some rounds, I don't know, maybe like eight or nine, where I'm like, damn, man, this that was a close round. I had to score it for Navarrete because the power, he was landing, and his shots landed with authority, you know? And Villa was mainly just sticking him with that southpaw jab, but he wasn't really following up with any power shots, right? And this ain't the amateurs. It's professional boxing, so damage counts, right? Power counts. Um, but I actually scored round 11 for Villa, and I thought he won it clearly. Mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't think boxing Twitter shared that opinion, but I thought so. I thought that, you know, and I was thinking, well, you know, what if, what if Villa wins that 12th round? Now, it turns out, had he won that 12th round... He'd still be unbeaten. It'd be a majority draw. I, that would have that would not have been fair to, to Navarrete. But I do think Villa was doing better down the stretch of that fight than ESPN's commentators. Um, it seemed that they were giving him credit for, uh, and that's just that's just my opinion. But um, what Navarrete showed in those twelve rounds, I'm like, I'd love to see him against Josh Warrington. Look, man, love to see him against Zucan. Zucan is not a puncher, but he has certain things that Villa didn't have. He has size. Zucan has that height. He's got that reach. He's got the durability because he's been in there with some heavy hitters. Zucan has, and Zucan can take it. Um, and he's got that, that, that volume punching to match Navarrete's. So I look at like a Navarrete Zucan showdown, like man, CompuBox, they better get their fingers ready, man. <laughs> I don't know how they do it. Like they watch and like, you know, but however they count those punches, they better be on, they better have their coffee and uh, you know, they better take some no dos and really dial in because that's going to be a lot of punches, man. And actually the same thing with Warrington. Warrington lets his hands go. Yeah. Yeah. So I I love those matchups. I love high, I love high volume fighters. I I, I have a lot of um, respect for them because if that's how you got to win, then you, Every time you step in the ring, you have to be at 100%. You have to be in impeccable conditioning. I think the general consensus is, and obviously it's all hypothetical, mm-hmm. if, if Via had a little bit more pop in his punches to the point where he could kind of back Navarrete up, right. he would have got the win? Yeah, like if he was Gary Russell Jr. Like yeah, Gary yeah. Russell, perfect, like got like the perfect foundation, an extensive amateur background, even more even more elite than Via because he was an Olympian. Um, more speed, but but Gary's got some pop, so Gary can and Gary can put those hands together like, you know. I think I think Russell probably would have beat Navarrete, especially with those judges. Definitely, he would have won with the, you know, maybe. Now, I don't want to overlook or underestimate Navarrete again. Maybe if Navarrete's in with a Gary Russell Jr. level talent. It brings, he doesn't go into cruise control. It just brings out the dog in. I'm like, oh crap, I'm going to stay, I'm going to smother you. I'm going to stay on top of you and I, or I'm going to kill your body or whatever. Maybe he would figure out because I see that he figures out ways, he's crafty with it, ways to land those punches. That that uppercut that he landed in the first round, <laughs> what, what was he's like, <laughs> it's like he was bowling. Yeah. Oh man, he nailed right on the chin. It's just like, damn. And 
Via was having a really good round. I thought, I thought, and I thought Via boxed really well in rounds two and three and was getting momentum. And at least the first half of round four seemed like he had Navarrete swinging at air. And then Navarrete is like, no, I'm, I will hit you. And he got him yeah. and took over the fight after that, you know? Do you think a, a little bit too much too soon for Via as well? Going straight from a, straight from a 10. But. You know, he's 23 years old. He had 18 fights. He'd never been 12 rounds before. Um, he'd been in with solid opposition, but not world-class. But he looked good enough to where he was ranked. Ring Magazine had him at number eight. We didn't have him high, but we had him at number eight. Um, and when you factor in his amateur background and his a- amateur achievements, it's like, you know, I, it's kind of, I, I, can't, I can't be somebody to say it was too soon when I thought that he would win the fight. I'm not going to say that. So I'm going to say he got beat by the better man on the night and he's going to be a better man because of it. Like when he's in that situation again, against somebody he can't hurt and somebody who's coming at him, somebody who's fearless, he's going to have that confidence. He's going to be more comfortable letting his hands go. I believe, Um, you know, it's the kind of, it's a, it's a, the kind of a, a, an experience that makes a boy a man, you know, it makes, if you look at him as a prospect, okay even though he's got an, an L you could look at him as a, as a contender now, cause he's fought 12 hard rounds against a world-class seasoned professional, you know, and Navarrete is young. Navarrete is at his peak. He's 25 and Navarrete has more than 30 fights. Mm. So it's like, okay, you're in there with a real dude. So it's, I don't think it's a big deal that he lost. Um, I think it'll make him better. And I, I hope like I know his team will take it as a positive. They'll see the bright side in this and they'll come back and they'll be better for it. Moving on to the co-main and you may have to help me out with the name. Yanibek Ali Khan. I just call him Janibek. <laughs> Kazakh style, right? Yeah. <laughs> That's his uh, nickname, right? I see yeah. him after. I see him. Um, uh, I'll, I visit uh, Buddy McGirt's gym. He's had, he's had a couple of locations in the Valley hmm. and one of the older locations I remember that he has three guys from Kazakhstan and I can't pronounce any other names, <laughs> but one of them, it's, and it's not Johnny Beck. One of them uh, is uh, he's got pre- pretty decent English. And so he'll translate for me and talk to them for me. Uh, this guy's last name is North Sultanov and right. they're all around the same. They're like, you know, around the same weight class or whatever, you know, they're kind of like junior middleweight middleweights or whatever. Um, and they had good amateur backgrounds and they're pretty good athletes and they're good. They're good students. And they got a good teacher, obviously a hall of famer and uh, buddy McGirt and they're learning and they're going to get, they're going to get better and better. Uh, as the competition steps up, we're going to see more from them. Um, and it's not unlike um, Joel Diaz in the desert era area out here in Southern California with all those guys from Uzbekistan. It's like monsters. Good. They're monsters. Yeah. And they, they've got the amateur background. They have the athletic talent. They're hungry. Obviously they left their country to be here. So they have to learn a new language and get used to a new culture. And, but they have an experienced teacher. They have, that's the most important thing. That's what made the Klitschko brothers really special is that they were students and they wanted to learn, and they were like, they absorbed it, and they learned from everybody. They learned from old sparring partners, and they learned from old-timers in the gyms. Once they came out to L.A., 
they didn't just learn from their trainers. They learned from the other trainers that were, uh, that occupied the gyms where they trained and they come in early. They come in an hour before their trainer would get there and they would just sit and watch, talk to each other a little bit, you know, and, and they were, and I would watch them watching the, 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 as a matter of fact, this is one of the guys right here. Amilcar Brusa, he passed away. He's a great trainer from South America. He uh, he developed um, Carlos Monzon, but he had a dozen other world champions that he developed, that he brought up. He was a master. I mean, a boxing genius and a, and a genius at conditioning and making sure fighters were never overtrained. He was amazing. And there were some other old-timers at this gym, the La Brea Boxing Academy. It's gone. It's torn down now. But uh, it was at the corner of... Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on Chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at Chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's Chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry. Sorry. We're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No. Lucky Land Casino. With cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. La Brea and um, Wilshire. La Brea and Wilshire in Los Angeles. And uh, uh, an old trainer named Don Hamilton would train there. And they would watch the way these old timers would work with the fighters. And these old, you know, they weren't doing mitts and stuff like that. They're holding the fighters' hands and showing them on the heavy bag and showing them how to get power. And so I'd watch the Klitschko's watch them, and then I'd come in a few days later, and again, the Klitschko's get there before their trainers get there, and the Klitschko's are practicing on the heavy bag what they had observed a day ago or a couple days prior. And these guys are just like Johnny Beck is like that. The other guys from Kazakhstan that uh, are, are training with Buddy McGirt, all those fighters from Uzbekistan, I'm sure you're, you're, kind of, you're familiar with them that are yeah. trained with Joel Diaz and Antonio Diaz and a lot of experience between the Diaz brothers. Um, they absorbed that stuff. And so they had their amateur experience and style. And now they're getting the professional, like an American professional style or a Mexican American professional style. And they're, they're mixing it together. They're melding it together into their own professional style. And they're going to be, I mean, they're going to be um, formidable. They're not there yet. Johnny Buck's not there, but it was good to see him. That that knockout was just mm-hmm. timing, man. It's just the right punch at the right time in the right place. Boom. That dude was out. You know, um, you're out when you fall like that. And uh, and it's good. Be- I like it because he's going to get a lot of attention now. That's like that's like a hundred thousand dollars worth of publicity when you score a highlight reel knockout like that. It's like okay, now we know who you are. You think yeah. the one hundred and sixty pound division is going to start to open up with Canelo probably moving up and Triple G's obviously getting a little bit older. Thirty eight, yeah, thirty eight years old. But he, yeah, he'll stick around. I think we'll get another two years out of uh, out of Triple G, to be quite honest. And I don't know if 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 Canelo is 
absolutely done with 160 pounds. If he was really done, he would abdicate his belts. Mm. And he hasn't done that yet, which tells me he wants to keep his options open. And he's young enough that he can still boil down. I mean, he boiled down to an unnatural 154 for years, so he can he can boil down to 160, if it's the right fight anyways. But it's probably healthier for him to fight at 168 or 165. Um, but, yeah, and I, I, and I think it's good. It's, the thing is, is, you know, I was just talking – I was just – uh, I was just being critical of the sanctioning organizations and their mandatories. But when you got guys, you know, like Beck bully and, you know, all these dudes, uh, you know, these guys who don't have a big name um, in America, they're not, they're only known by the, like the hardest core hipster geek, you know, Twitter nerds. Um, they actually need to be mandatories in order to get yeah. any kind of shot, you know, like MJ, um, uh, and what is it? Akhmadaliev? Akhmadaliev, yeah. Mojuran Akhmadaliev. I'm going to yeah. have to find these, these names. <laughs> <laughs> they keep achieving. You can't, you know, you, yeah. oh, we'll, learn them. we'll learn them all. <laughs> um, it just takes a while. Um, yeah. Um, they, they're, these are guys who might have to go that route though. Um, but I, I, you know, when they get to that mandatory position, they're, they're worthy. I mean, they're, you know, and they, I, what I like about them is, I know they can be put in tough. So, but they're going to need that. They're going to need to fight tough guys. They're going to need the exposure. Um, they're going to need to learn the language a little bit at least and, and, and start interfacing with the media and, and fans and stuff like that to get a fan base behind them. Uh, Cause that's the only way I think the title holders are going to defend against these guys. Cause they are a handful. There's a lot of risk and there's not a lot of reward. Not right now. Anyways. Mm. Someone who's obviously always a handful is uh, Freddie Roach's prize prospect, Elvis Rodriguez. He's now like 10-0 after a KO3 over yeah. uh, journeyman Cameron Crail. Yeah, but Crail's got a lot of experience. He's not old. And he's kind of one of those gatekeeper-type spoiler journeymen. If you're not at your best, he can beat you. Or if you're not special, who's going to beat you? And he's usually durable. So the fact that Erod took him out, that's I like him. I, I like Erod. I mean, he's got he's got all those he's got all the 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 components to being a, a blue chip prospect. You know, he's got the amateur background. He's got the athleticism. He's got the skill and technique, the intelligence. He's got the team. You know, he's got the right promote manager and trainer, obviously. Um, and you know what? He's active. He's one of the more, yeah. if you look, if you go to box rec and look at his record, he's one of the more active prospects this year. I think I could be wrong. You boys and girls at home. I don't, I'm not pulling up box rec right now, but I think he's fought five times in 2020, like a pandemic year, four or five times. Um, and so the bubble top rank in the bubble has been good to him. Like yeah. that was good that top rank got the bubble going in July and, and they got it. They brought boxing back as a weekly series <clears throat> And some fans complained. They complained about the, you know, the lack of uh, competitive fights or whatever. There were some competitive fights, though. But, you know, boxing fans like to complain. But um, it was good that it was a weekly because guys could, you know, if they got a quick knockout, they can come back in a couple couple weeks, you know. And there have been some fighters that do that. Clay Collard's another one. <laughs> um, and there's that heavyweight. Um, and it's good for them. It's, it's like... That's saying something because there's so many prospects who are going to go 
um, this entire year without fighting, like really good, highly touted prospects. And some prospects are just lucky to have fought once this year. So um, if you can fight three, four or five times, that's a big deal. And you're going to be, you're going to get sort of a head start going into 2021 with these other prospects. So uh, he's in a good, he's in a competitive division. Um, he's fun. You know, he's got a whole shtick, you know, the, the name Elvis kind of sticks with yeah. you. Um, yeah, I like I, all that stuff counts. All that stuff works. So he's definitely one to watch. But, you know, he wasn't exactly on my radar at the start of 2020. And now he is. So that says something. And he's How somebody high? I probably I consider a, a blue chipper. How high is Freddie on him? Freddie's high. Freddie's high on him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I have I've, I've only heard good things. And Freddie's at that stage where he's not, you know, he's not going to bullshit you. You know, if somebody needs work, he'll say he needs work. If, if he thinks somebody has championship ability, he'll say it, you know. And, and you know, Freddie's got that that pride, too. A trainer's friend. He was a former fighter, and he's got that pride. So it's like he's got a little bit of a chip on his shoulder. And he's like, you know, yeah, I can make him a champion, of course, with me. He's going to get better. And so, you know, I, I, I think that that bodes well for Erod. Another prospect that was on the card, uh, Lorenzo Truck Simpson, 9-0, unanimous decision over yeah, San I missed, I missed that fight. Did he look good? He looked good, yeah. He had Simpson down in round five and then kind of just, I think, took his foot off the gas yeah. and just picked up the rounds. But Simpson's kind of like bounced around a few different promotions. Yeah. And so what, what do you think of him, though, overall as a prospect? Oh, I, he's been in New Faces in Ring Magazine. Um, and, yeah, he's... He's got he's got the he's got the right background. Um, I've I've heard good things about him from from training camps, from sparring. Like I hear good things from him. Um, he seems to have the right attitude. You know, like he's he doesn't lack for confidence. Um, and so yeah, no, he's he's somebody that I'm. He's on my radar. Um, sorry that I, I mean I'll, I'll I'll find it. I'll catch up with it um, eventually. But I didn't see that fight live. Um, but he's yeah. Um, Lorenzo is somebody that a lot of other people around me, a lot of other um, writers and and boxing, you know, boxing insiders are pretty high on him. So he's a name. He's somebody that I've known about for a couple of years now. So I'm glad he's getting some exposure. Moving on to Saturday the 10th from the BT Sports Studio, London on ESPN Plus for us here in the US. Yeah. Liam, Liam Williams with a first round KO over Andrew Robinson. Not surprised that he stopped him. I am a little surprised that he got him out of there that quick. Mm. But yeah, and that was a, it was a stay busy fight, really. But I like I like Liam. I, I like him a lot. Um, I think Williams, you know, um, it was good for him to move up from junior middleweight to middleweight. Uh, I think he's he got even hungrier. I mean, he never lacked for confidence. He's got a chip on his shoulder. Um, he's kind of a rugged rugged character. Welsh, right? Out of Wales. <laughs> yeah. Welsh tough. <laughs> and, um, uh, I think the losses to Liam Smith kind of yeah. like lit a fire under him to, to improve his training situation. Um, whatever was holding him back, if there was anything holding him back, it doesn't look like anything is now. And I like, I like how he takes apart boxers. And I, I'm, I mean, I don't know if that fight's going to happen. He's a, that's a worthy talking about mandatories. He's the WBO's mandatory for Demetrius Andrade. Liam Williams is a worthy mandatory. And he's under the radar for a lot of American fans. 
Um, but those who have watched his last few fights, they like that matchup. They like they 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 view Williams as somebody who can actually make Andrade fight and and kind of force Andrade to be in an entertaining fight. Um, and I think I think he's a live dog in that fight, to be quite honest. Um, but I, he's he's one of those he's like one of those dark horses in the middleweight division. But he's a content. He's like I think he's just number ten um, um, in Ring Magazine's middleweight rankings. But um, you know, I do view him as a legitimate contender, not just a sanctioning body contender. The hardest fight for uh, Andrade so far, if the fight gets made. Yeah, physically speaking, you know, maybe not like it's not going to be a chess match. You know, I, th- I think I think Williams is talented. I think he has natural mm-hmm. boxing talent. It's very comfortable in there, but he's a go getter. He wants to he wants to break his his opponents down. And I like his punch selection. I like his body attack. Um, but also, I just, I like his willpower, like his, his mental fortitude. It's like he's one of those guys where he, he refuse, you know, you, you can't break him. It's really, it's hard to get in his head or make him think that he doesn't belong in the ring with you. That's, I like that. And when, you know, when you get to that level, you know, you're either in there with people who are like dynamic boxer punchers like uh, Jamal Charlo or, you know, like high-level boxers like, um, you know, like Andrade, and you need to really feel like you belong because those guys can take your confidence away. If you're, if you're leery of getting hurt, um, if you get frustrated easy because somebody's sticking and moving and, and being elusive or just refusing to engage, you got to figure out ways. You know, like Navarrete against Villa, you got to find your spots. You know, you, gotta, you have to impose your, not just your style, but your mentality on your opponent. And it seems to me like Williams has that, that mentality. Um, having said that, I haven't seen him in against elite fighters, you know, at least not at middleweight. You know? He's from an experienced gym. Yeah, we'll Obviously he's, he's from the Ingle gym. So he's yeah, he's Ingle now. Yeah. 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 No, that's Ingle's an asset to him. Moving on to the biggest fight of the year so far, this coming Saturday, the 17th from the bubble MGM grand Las Vegas on ESPN. And it's not pay-per-view for everybody. I think Thank we're all pleased with. Yeah, we are. I would say I would say the biggest fight still this year was was uh, Tyson Fury, um, Deontay Wilder, the rematch. I was there. It was huge. It was pay-per-view. The pay-per-view. You know, the pay-per-view numbers didn't match very high expectations, but it still did a little over eight hundred thousand, and that's pretty good in the streaming age. You know. Um, and uh, it was, you know, it was a very, I thought it was a successful co-promotion, did a, in a, a really high gate. I think the, the gate was like 17 million. So that's, that's, uh, that's impressive. So I, I would still say that the big guys, Fury Wilder too, I still think that's, that's the, the biggest event of the year. But if you're a fan, if you're a, a hardcore boxing fan, especially, um, the matchup you've been looking forward to the most is Lomachenko-Lopez because there's so many variables. And um, it really does. It involves like a, a real, pretty much a universally recognized champion against the hottest young up and comer. Um, and those those type of matchups are always entertaining. And both guys have entertaining styles. You know, Lomachenko is a boxing wizard and he's elusive, but he's also offensive. Let's his hands go. His hands with, with, with Lomachenko, something's moving all the time. It seems like all three hands, feet, 
head, upper body. You know what I mean? So there's he's he's perpetual motion, and he's he's very smart. Like when you talk about boxing IQ, you're talking about genius level. And when you're talking about amateur backgrounds, you're talking about legend status. Like Mm -hmm. unbelievable. Like one of the greatest amateurs of all time. Legit. No hyperbole. Like that record's insane. That's like that. That's just it's it's incredible. Um, And then with Teofimo Lopez, he was the good amateur. Obviously not as decorated or extensive as Lomachenko. Um, in terms of his professional experience, although they pretty much have the same number of fights, not the same level as Lomachenko, because Lomachenko has been championship level since his second pro fight. But on, on Lopez's side, you have the size, you have a unique style, kind of unorthodox, kind of, you know, I, I would say it's, it's Teofimo style. I can't think of other folks who fight like him. It's like a real reflexive counterpunch specialist, like boxer, dynamic boxer, puncher, counterpuncher. Um, but his athleticism is off the charts. I mean, you know, you watch this guy when he was coming up and he was prospect of the year, consensus prospect of the year, I think for 2018. And um, he just did some things in there where it's like, what? You know, there's like, you don't even have to go to the highlights. There's photographs of Teofimo Lopez. It looks like he's jumping three feet in the air and he's jabbing this dude. It's like, who the hell does that? And it works. Like, you should never do that in the boxing. You should never jump up. Your feet shouldn't be that high off the ground. You're weightless when you're off the ground. You know, if somebody jabs you to the stomach while you're jumping up in the air, you're going to go back, you know. But he's got that, that timing. He's a natural talent. And um, that's really, that makes it really interesting that he's got that kind of power. And the fact that although Lomachenko is the champion, the lightweight champion, he's not a natural lightweight. He still has that bone structure of a featherweight. He can carry 135 pounds, but I think it's clear that he's hit his ceiling, physically speaking, as a lightweight. we, we, We don't envision him fighting welterweight or junior welterweight he's not like a manny pacquiao sort of explosive super talent he's very talented he's brilliant but it seems like he's hit his limit at 135 pounds and we've seen him in competitive fights at lightweight when he won the championship against jorge linares it was competitive he actually won that fight on on heart on character he dug down deep and got the stoppage and I don't know how people saw it at home. I know the ESPN commentators, they, they, they had him comfortably ahead. But I was there. I was at Madison Square Garden. And among press row around me, it was a toss-up. Uh, going into the 10th round, some people had Lomachenko ahead one round. Some people had Linares ahead one round. And some people were like me, had it even going into the 10th round. So, I, you know... You know, whether whoever you had ahead before the stoppage, you can't deny that Linares put hands on Lomachenko. He was able to get body shots in there. He landed the right hand. He got the flash knockdown. Um, he was able to set some traps and he was able to get out of traps too. When, when Lomachenko tried to crowd him on the ropes, he was able to get off. Now he, now, and he's a bit, and he had the size too. Like he weighed in at 135, and I think he entered the ring about 150. 
150, 151, 152. He's big. He's got a big, tall, rangy frame. Not as, but he, and he, he's not, he doesn't punch like he's dynamic like Teofimo, but he didn't have quite the power. And I don't know if he's as durable as Teofimo. So when you think about that and you think about the fact that Pedraza kind of gave, he gave, he frustrated Lomachenko in spots. And Luke Campbell, legit one rounds, Luke Campbell. And I, I wasn't surprised at this. You know, I, I was saying this for a while, like Campbell will stylistically give him trouble. But part of that equation wasn't just Campbell's style and boxing IQ. It was the fact that he was big. He's a natural lightweight. And um, so, it, 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 you know, even though there's, there's a lot of edges, there's a lot of advantages that Lomachenko has, there's some advantages that Teofimo has. And those are X factors, and it makes it a really fascinating matchup. Doug, let's look at the corner teams. What do you think about the Teofimo... Lopez Sr. working with Joey Gamash, that addition. It's great. Joey Gamash knows boxing. Um, he doesn't have a big ego. I don't think you can have a big ego with Lopez Sr. and Jr. You know what I mean? Like, there's enough. They're clashing enough. You know what I mean? Like, you can't be an ego or whatever. And I think he's a team player, but he's got that experience. That's what they need. They need experience, you know. Teofimo Sr. is still learning as a trainer and his number one client is his son. You know what I mean? Um, and obviously junior is, is, is learning on the job as well. Um, now he's precocious. Um, he's the, you know, he was a blue chip um, and, and now he's a top tender, but they don't have the experience that the, the Lomachenko's have because Papachenko I mean, he, as, as legendary as, as Vasily is, Vasily's dad, I mean, he was, he was the, the coach of the Ukrainian team, and that's a decorated amateur team. And he's, he's proven himself with other fighters, you know, like Usyk. Um, and I've seen them. I've had the opportunity of watching them. They're kind of private. It's, it's really the dad that's like that. But I've watched, I've watched Lomachenko spar in Oxnard, and I've watched them train, and they're all business. Yeah. I mean, they're serious. That's no, they don't, and they don't have drama either. Like son, son recognizes dad's authority. Yeah. I managed and to get into camp when he fought Rigondeaux. What was that? I, I managed, to, I managed no, to get into I, camp. I, camp. I was, I, I visited the camp prior to the Linares fight and prior to either Pedraza or prior to um, Crawla. Uh, and I watched him. It was early in the camp when I visited before the, uh, the Linares fight, but, um, he was, I actually got to see him spar, which a lot of people don't. And he's just, I mean, he's untouchable. Mm-hmm. I mean, he, he can play in there, but this like even playing around, he does stuff that like, um, matter of fact, there were some, some young, there were some amateur boxers that were watching with me that were in awe. In fact, these, these amateur boxers are the sons of Fernando Vargas. Oh, okay. And, and and Lomachenko knows who they are, and he was he was like it was okay because there were people in his camp like no no um, observers, you know. And he you know he, there's these two there's this, it's a big it, it's a it's a big facility. They've got two gym uh, two two rings, but there's a small ring in a loft, mm-hmm. and that's Lomachenko's. Now he's got a private gym apart from uh, I think they call it the, the Oxnard Boxing Lab Boxing Laboratory. Um, uh, Agus Klimas runs it or owns it. 
and it's all of Vegas's fighters. There's like, he's got like 25 fighters. So there's a lot. And then there's, you know, people from the community too, from Oxnard. Um, and, uh, so Vargas's sons are there and, um, they're watching him and they're just like, like their eyes are that big. They're just like, and I'm looking at them, but even before he spars, he's doing stuff, you know, like doing handstands on his knuckles and walking around on his knuckles and stuff. And all this stuff is this balance training that he does. And it's so much, so much of his training is about balance, timing, and coordination. It's not about power. It's not about, you know what I mean? It's really, and it's about adapting to situations. And they have the psychological drills that they go through. And I don't even know what they, I mean, some of them, it's self-explanatory. You know, you got a board and there's lights and you touch them. I'm like, okay, that's like whack-a-mole. I get that. (laughs) fun. But then other stuff, it looks like, I don't know what he's doing, math or something. It looks like he's playing dominoes or something. They've got these little cards and blocks and they've got, numbers on them or patterns and he i don't even know what he's doing but he's doing that for like 45 minutes before he starts to lucky land casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky lucky in line at the deli i guess aha in my dentist's office more than once actually do i have to say yes you do in the car before my kids pta meeting really yes excuse me what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky i never win and tell well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Physical regimen, you know. So they got a system. I don't know if it's their system or if that's some Ukrainian stuff from the national team and school, you know. But they got it down to a science, and they are scientists. You know what I mean? So the, I mean, honestly, I, I feel like, even I think it's great that Joey Gamash is with Team Lopez. I give the edge to Team Lomachenko. I really do. How do you think? Corners. We're talking about corners. I like. I think that's one of the edge. That's an edge that Lomachenko has against Lopez. Is that his father? His father is also in his corner, and his father is just a, a far more experienced and decorated trainer, and totally different. And I like I like Lopez Senior a lot. He's fun to talk, fun to hang out with, fun to interview, fun to talk to off the record. You know, he's, but he's an emotional dude. He runs on emotion and, and Lomachenko's father, um, I'm spacing out on his name. What's Lomachenko's dad's name? Anatoly. Anatoly. He was trainer of the year. Um, Anatoly is, he's got ice water in his veins. He doesn't show emotion. He's just, and he's, he's very serious, you know, so they keep a cool head. Their game is all about adapting and evolving in there. And that's a question I have with team Lopez. Can they make adjustments? Probably the toughest fight that the kids had was against the Japanese, the tall, tough, rangy Japanese fighter. That's the one time he went 12 rounds, right? Yeah. He looked frustrated in there. And I know he didn't have a great camp for that. You know, there was issues, you know, whatever, personal issues. But that's life and that's boxing. You got to get over the personal issues, you know. The elite fighters don't let that affect them. Um, and uh, I, I'm trying to think, how well did he adjust? I, mean, I thought he won the fight, clearly. Mm-hmm. I wasn't like some folks saying, oh, that's a real close fight and blah, blah, blah. And he's exposed. I don't, I didn't buy that shit. I'm like. No, I can't fight. He's a badass. But 
he had a hard, he had a, he had a frustrating night. It wasn't a physical difficult fight. It was a mentally difficult fight, right? So mm-hmm. I do have a question. Like, if Lomachenko doesn't stand there and let you hit him, what are you going to do? You know what I mean? Like, I think Teofimo looks best when he's in there with guys who have a chip on their shoulder who are macho, like Diego Magdaleno, right? Magdaleno goes all emotional in there and cursing at him and got busted up. And he, you know, F you and all, you know. And he made it, he just, it was, that. I mean, Lopez was happy with that. Lopez was actually, during the fight, he was super cool. He was like, oh, I'm so glad you're pissed. I'm so glad you're emotional. I'm going to pick you apart until I stop you. And he stopped him. And then he got, then he got emotional with the, with the, uh, with the, with the post-fight celebrations, you know, doing the dance and then doing the, we tried to do the, like, I'm digging a hole and putting dirt on you, but uh, Carl Moretti wouldn't let him like, no, dude, that's not classy. You know, Moretti kind of halted him, but um, against the, the, the Japanese fighter, um, I don't know. He seemed frustrated and I, he didn't make enough adjustments to where he was able to really impose himself, you know, to take him out of there or to, to, to make, to make the Japanese fighter give up. Now, maybe, maybe that dude just don't quit. That's just that dude. He's, 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 he's a dog and he's just like, nah, man, you know, you're gonna have to kill me. Like he's one of those dudes and you, you got guys like that, you know, but that is a question mark I do have for, for Lopez at the, at this elite level. Can he make adjustments? Cause I know, I know Lomachenko can't, that's what he's all about. That's why I favor him. I, I favor Lomachenko to win a decision. Um, but I, you know, every round I'll be, I'll be on the edge of my seat though, you know. Do you think that running on emotion and the ego in the Teofimo Lopez corner could be their downfall, especially if they can't oh, lay a glo- they can't lay a glove on Lomachenko in the first of couple of course. rounds? Man, let me tell you something. Let's go back to February and, you know, the biggest event of the year so far. That heavyweight showdown before between Deontay Wilder and Tyson Fury, I think at least a slight majority favored Wilder by knockout, obviously, by knockout, right? You know? He'd look good. Like last year, his knockouts were devastating, right? And, you know, he, even he himself was saying, you know, you have to be perfect for 12 rounds. I only got to hit you once. I only got to be, I only got to you know, be perfect for one second, you know, or something. I don't know what he was saying, but. You know, both guys had a lot of confidence. There was a lot of bluster. Um, but and being there, and I was there from uh, the press conference, you know, obviously until the fight. So I'm there Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday. Every day that I was in Vegas, and I picked Tyson Fury. I said, you know, and I figured it would be a tough fight, too. I wasn't, I wasn't discounting Wilder. I just figured Fury would make enough adjustments not to get dropped, <laughs> you know. And I figure, you know, if Wild if Wilder can't drop this dude, he ain't going to outbox him. I kept it really simple, you know. It's like, you know, so I thought he would, you know, I thought Fury would sit on his punches a little bit more and just, you know, get a little more respect, keep keep Wilder at a distance and 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 out jab him and and be elusive, you know. Um, but one thing I noticed. And, and, and I really noticed when I was there during the, 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 the final press conference is how emotional Wilder got. And I'm sitting next to a, 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 a veteran British writer named Gareth Davies. <laughs> and uh, and we, it was weird. We were, yeah, the warlock. Yeah. <laughs> um, 
And I swear to God, we're thinking the same thing. We're watching. They had this long stare down and they're blah, blah, blah. And then there was some shoving. And, you know, that happens. And it's just part of showmanship. And it was for Fury. And Fury's playing mind games, right? The whole time. Because Fury, Fury had his big puffy jacket and he wouldn't take it off. And we didn't. And there's all these rumors that Fury maybe had a bad ankle or that he was fat or all this stuff, you know. And, and, uh, and, and I think Fury likes that, right? He knows it kind of gets in his head. And we're noticing after this little scuffle and people get on stage, both teams kind of pull them apart. And, okay, everybody be cool, be cool, sit down, this interview. But we're noticing that Fury is totally cool. He's happy. He, just like Teofimo against Diego Magdaleno, he's happy the other guy is emotional. And we could tell that Wilders is emotional. And he's a passionate dude. You know, he's a dynamic knockout artist. So he lands that shot. And he's like, yeah, you know, and he's, he's a live wire. But it doesn't serve him to be jacked up days before the fight, right? And to us, he seemed jacked up. And um, Gareth Davies turns to me and he says, Wilder's heart rate is up. And I say, I turn around like, man, I'm sticking the same thing. His heart rate is way up. I could tell, right? And you could tell during their back and forth that Wilder was really like he was actually upset that Fury was getting under his skin. And he would say certain things that I could tell that Fury planted. <laughs> like he was trying to put Fury down. And it was just stuff that Fury. And I know when he was saying it, Fury's like, oh, I'm in your head. <laughs> like he said, he mentioned it was a throwaway. Most of the media missed it. I don't, I don't think anyone wrote about it, but. Wilder said something like, um, man, you're so worried about me. You're dipping your hands in gasoline. And that was some throwaway crap because Fury will say some wacky stuff just to see if people run with it. Like, mm. yo, I toss off seven times a day. <laughs> to get my That's some wacky stuff, man. He is not jacking off. <laughs> At least not that much. Maybe yeah. he's jacking off once, you know, <laughs> every other day, you know, you know, when the steam builds up enough, you know, to let some, you know. But he ain't beating it seven times a day. But he put that out there, and people ran with it, and he loves it. Mm. And one of the you know, part he likes it because it's attention, and he likes to get a laugh. He likes to get a rise out of people. But the other part is he knows that it bugs his opponent when people start talking crazy stuff. And he's good with the crazy. He's like, yeah, let's be crazy, man. And um, so he had mentioned this like. It's like this old, old timer. Like he, he was telling, I think it was Gareth, actually. He was telling Gareth for a column that Gareth was writing that he was doing it like the old timers, right? So he's dipping his hands in petrol to make the skin tough, you know? And the, his point was, I'm, I'm coming in with a puncher's mentality. And it was another thing. He was throwing that out. I'm, it's a two-round fight. I'm going to knock mm -hmm. him out in two rounds. He's putting that out there. But that stuff was bothering Wilder. And then, I, so I had heard that on, on, on Thursday, Wilder was doing a lot of um, like social media stuff. You know what I mean? Like, um, like, you know, apart from his, his media duties, you know, with the mainstream press, but just like, you know, hosting like live streams and, you know, doing that. And there were people around him that didn't like it. They thought he was doing too much. You know, and I was thinking, that's not good. And then the weigh-in, when he weighed heavy, I was like, why the hell are you heavy? You don't have to. He's a natural puncher. 
He's one of these dudes. He don't have to be heavy. He was like 214 for that first fight against um, uh, Lewis, Lewis Ortiz, or maybe lighter. He might have been 212 or something. Was he lighter? Yeah, I think he was 212. Yeah, he was like old school dancing weight. But I threw the powers there, man. And it's good for him to be light and fast. So he weighs 225. And, and he's one of the, these brothers. They don't, he don't put weight on his legs. He's got, they're strong, but he's got little skinny legs. All the weight is up here. So there's another dude. There's this dude who's like a conditioning coach. And he does work with the PBC. And I had, I had lunch with him on Saturday, actually. I was like, why, did, why is he bulked up? <laughs> you know what I mean? So I was feeling pretty good about my pick. But the main reason I felt more confidence as the days went on to that big heavyweight showdown was the emotion in, in Wilder. And you can't, you can't be too emotional. Some guys can, can deal with it. It works for them. But I think most fighters, it's, it's when, when it's, when it's fight time and those, and the days, especially the hours leading into the fight, it doesn't do you any good to be all keyed up in your dressing room, walking back and stalking back and forth you know, the way Wilder was, um, it doesn't do you any good because that emotion that, that, you know, it's your, your adrenal gland, it's your everything. It's all, you know, your it's, it's loading your body, you know, with hormones and stuff like that, you know, like fight or flight hormones. You don't need those until you're actually in the fight. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And if you're just, if your body's going, if you're going off in your head, um, multiple times, you know, it's like a, a sprinter with false starts. So good. So I hope, I hope Teofimo, this is, the, this is the big dance, you know, I hope Teofimo can keep a cool head and I hope that Teofimo senior can keep a cool head. If things get frustrating, that's going to be very interesting. If things get frustrating and it's not going the way they want it, or do they lose? Does, does Teofimo, does Teofimo, does Teofimo make adjustments? Does he have ideas for other ways to, to get to Lomachenko? Does the dad keep his head? Does the dad get mad, you know, if, if if Teofimo has two bad rounds in a row? You know what I mean? So we'll see. Um, I like to think that they're going to be, that they're going to rise to the occasion. I want the best fight possible. You know what I mean? Um, so, but we'll see. You know, I, I haven't seen, I haven't seen Lopez at this level. I've seen Lopez at a certain level. And certainly Richard Comey was world-class and he got him out of there, but Richard Comey, a very different fighter than, than Lomachenko. If you were in Teofimo's corner, how would you say to defeat Lomachenko? I think we've had, what, 400, <laughs> 410 people try and only Salido in the professional ranks and I think right. one person in the amateurs. Right. I don't know. Um, well, I mean, I'm a boxing writer. I'm not a trainer. I'm not a boxer, so... I'm like, good luck, dude. <laughs> now, I feel, here's what I feel. Fighters have to be themselves. Your, your style, your temperament, your mentality, what, what got you to the big dance, that's what has to carry you to the brass ring, to the, to the, the championship. Um, when you change because, and you see this sometimes, when fighters... Um, are faced with an, uh, an enigma, um, uh, like, you know, a matrix type fighter, you know what I'm saying? Like you see guys when, when Floyd Mayweather was the man at, at welterweight and he's in there with guys who are 
on his level in terms of, uh, you know, maybe they were older, they were past their primes, but they were still, they were on Floyd's level in terms of um, big fight experience and, and accomplishments. You know, I'm talking about like Oscar De La Hoya, um, uh, Sugar Shane Mosley, right? Oscar De La Hoya didn't fight like Oscar De La Hoya when he was in there. And that tells me Floyd was in his head. And Floyd was in Freddie Roach's head because Freddie Roach trained Oscar De La Hoya, who has never been a pressure fighter, to rush him. You know, like 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 Freddie's thinking, well, this is how I would beat Floyd. You know, <laughs> you know, if I was in, I'd get in his ass and smother him, which is it's you know, and get him with volume, right? Which, if you are a volume puncher and you are a pressure fighter, and that's your game, yeah, that does get to pressure fighter volume punchers get to stick and move fighters, defensive fighters, you know, boxers like room to operate and time to think. So you set a pace where they got, Oh God, I got to worry about a hundred punches around. You know what I'm saying? And you smother them on top of that. They need room to, you know, pick their shots and block and counter and all that. But if that's not your game, if you're not a pressure fighter by nature and you're not used to fighting that way, what's going to happen? five six or seven rounds you're gonna burn out what happened to de la hoya the de la hoya came out there and pressured him and he didn't look it didn't look right to me like to me de la hoya on your toes getting that jab off his jab was the best punch but he had he did these spots where he's getting on top of floyd and uh, 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 you know hitting him as he's being held and all that stresses you out that's not him and then with 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 shane you know, Shane's a, a dynamic boxer puncher. He needed to be that and just go for it and not think too much. And he had that moment in the second round, but then the rest of the fight, he's trying to box with Floyd. Dude, why are you trying to box with Floyd? <laughs> you know, you know, you know, and there, and I, I'm not saying Shane couldn't box, but it's not Shane as a lightweight. You know, Shane as a lightweight had that, you know, that activity and that, that quick jab and, and all, but you know, as he got older and heavier, his activity slowed down and he was more of like a, a durable stalking puncher or whatever. Right. Um, he didn't have that, but languishing on the outside and pawing at a jab at somebody as sharp as Floyd Mayweather, bro, that ain't going to get it done. So I don't think you should change who you are. Hmm. At any stage, at any stage of your career, what, you know, now you should always try to improve. But I think we've seen with, with certain fighters, you know, um, where they change trainers and, and the, cha- the trainer tries to change their style and they're not as effective as they was, you know, as they used to be. Um, there's some people saying that about Oscar Valdez being with Eddie Reynoso. Yeah. They're thinking like, yeah, Valdez was kind of one-dimensional, um, as he was, you know, he, you know, as a come forward bomber and now he's trying to box and he's getting hit more, you know, yeah. <laughs> you know or he doesn't seem like himself. He doesn't like he lost some mojo. Um, and so that's the psychological part. It's like not just fighting to your style, but being who you are. So honestly, I have no business giving advice to any boxer. <laughs> I don't care what level, but if I was to advise, if I was to, you know, to, yeah, if I was to advise Team Lopez, be like, be you, man. You're awesome. You were prospect of the year for a reason. You know, you got those, you earned those knockouts. You know, you're, you're a, he's like, he's an exceptional talent. He's, his athleticism is like, 
it's beyond good athletes, you know, like Lomachenko is a good athlete, but Teofimo is like explosive. Like guys, I mean, you know, you see what he does. Like he, he has a fight, does his dance. Oh, then he'll do like a standing backflip. Like, like take two steps and do like a, a backflip and get air, man. Like you have to, the shape you have to be in to do it like a frontwards flip. Like that's, that's like, that's a certain level of athleticism. And I say, go with that, man. Look for that shot, <laughs> you know, and let it come too. You know, he's the, I think he's a natural counter puncher. So look to counter punch, you know, and be patient um, and, and make adjustments where you can, but good luck. You know, like you say that for so the one professional who beat Lomachenko did so in Lomachenko's second pro fight. And that dude didn't bother making a weight, came in heavy and fought a like beyond rough house tactics, right? Beyond, it was beyond a rugged fight. It was, he did illegal tactics. I mean, he literally attacked Lomachenko's cup. I mean, if that wasn't in Texas, I don't think, I, I mean, I think he would have been penalized or maybe even disqualified Salido. But having said all that, being the bigger guy, being vastly more experienced as a professional and smothering him, doing the volume pressure fighter, because that does, that works against boxers. Pressure bust pipes, pressure, volume, and the rough stuff, you know, all shoulders and the elbows and the the punches to the cup. Um, It was still Lomachenko who was stronger down the stretch. It was Lomachenko that had Salido holding on in the final round. And like I said, I was one of the I was one of the folks who thought that um, Lomachenko bit off more than he could chew. Um, and I think my prediction that he was going to take Lomachenko into deep waters and drown him, like get a get a late stoppage. But Lomachenko showed me everything. It's like, dude, you can do more than box. You're more than just a thinker in there. You've got heart. You've got metal. You've got character. He showed that. And he showed it again against Jorge Linares where he was in a, a difficult fight and he just summoned something special. What, what do you think, Dougie, about people comparing this to, you know, like the Mayweather Canelo? Nah, that's bad. That's a bad analogy. It's a bad, cause I don't know. It's, I mean, I get it. I get it. Um, I don't know. I think, see, I, I, I look at like, like Canelo, Canelo is, is, is he's, Canelo's special because he's a student of the game because he learns. He learns from wins. He learns from losses. He learns from draws. He learns from setbacks, right? Um, He learns in the gym, and he's one of these guys where, you know, he's a solid athlete. Um, But what makes him special is that his technique, he keeps adding layers to his technique. He keeps adding layers to his game. And you saw him, if you followed his career as I did, you know, you saw him ringside, you know, when he's fighting guys like Alfonso Gomez against lesser fighters. You saw him practice things in actual fights, like working on the the rope game, laying back on the ropes and slipping and countering off the ropes. And then you see him work on power jabs and you see him work on just different facets of his game. But he's not one of these dudes that was like, a special talent. Like when you saw him, you were amazed by his athleticism. He's not like a Roy Jones Jr., right? It's not like that, you know? And Teofimo, he's not Roy Jones Jr., but he's kind of like that. Like 
there are certain guys who have a certain athletic talent and part of it is their their natural boxing ability like like prince nasim hamed where it's like they're they're different like like yeah. you can like e- even though they don't have the experience you can put them in there with the world class guy and they boom just they they wipe them out man you know when they get that shot and i look at teofimo like that and and canelo wasn't like that canelo was like a solid strong dude but he wasn't one of these you know it's not somebody where you could you know, put him on a track and he's going to go out in like basketball shoes and run a, a, a quarter mile in 50 seconds. Right. He's not going to have like a 45 inch vertical. You know what I'm saying? He's not one of those type of athletic talents. And I feel like Lopez is. So it's, it's different just in that regard. Um, and I don't know. I, I feel like Mayweather was a special talent in that, you know, he was, he was, he was still elite as a as a welterweight, even though he came up from from junior lightweight and lightweight. He was still elite, and 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 Lomachenko's elite, but we've seen Lomachenko struggle with a certain level of guy that I don't think we saw Mayweather struggle with as as a welterweight, at least not to that point. I mean, yeah, he had a tough fight with Miguel Cotto, but that was Miguel Cotto. You know what I mean? Um, but guys of like. Pedraza's level or even in Luke Campbell. No, I, I think Floyd shuts those guys out and Lomachenko is not shutting those guys out. So I don't know. I mean, it's, I mean, maybe it's right. I've heard a lot of analogies for this fight and um, I think it's, yeah. I mean, I, I've heard people say it's going to be like Calzaghe versus Jeff Lacey. And I'm like, I don't think, so. I mean, I could be wrong, but I don't, I don't think so. See Calzaghe and Lacey, they were both super middleweights. And Calzaghe was the boxer, the nimble boxer with the footwork and the fast hands, and he's a southpaw. And Lacey was the athletic banger. But um, this is different because this fight is at lightweight, and Lomachenko's coming up from featherweight. And he, to me, he looks like he could make one, at least 130. Mm-hmm. You know, he could, and he says he could. He could go down, you know. So that's yeah, that. So, the, so there's a size factor in there where Lopez is definitely a lightweight. A lightweight, you know, he'll probably weigh in at 135. He'll at least put on 10 pounds. Although the IBF belt, see, here's another thing. The IBF belt is on the line. If it was just an IBF title fight, there will be that that stipulation where they have the second day weigh-in, the Saturday weigh-in, where um, he can't put on more than 10 pounds. Hmm. But they don't do that in unification bouts. So maybe Lopez can put on 15 pounds, maybe more. You know, Shane Mosley used to do that. Shane Mosley was a lightweight when he weighed in, not when he trained, not when he fought. You know, he was at least a welterweight, if not sometimes heavier than 147. So that's a factor, you know, so that's 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 a little different, you know. And also with May with Mayweather and and Canelo, if you remember, there was a catch weight. Yeah. You know, it was 152. So this fight is 135. It's not 133. Another thing, the uh, the ring magazine belt's going to be on the line on Saturday. Dougie, is that right? Yep. Yes, sir. Yep. Could you just give us a an insight into you know how you decide what fight gets it, ordering the bell, where you get it from, the cost, and well, first of all, the fight has to merit a title being on the line, or you know, so it's got to be number one versus number two, and we actually kind of have that. We have the, you know, 
Lopez is the defending, I'm sorry, Lomachenko is the defending champion and Lopez is number one. Um, but a few years prior, we had a situation where our number one contender was Jorge Linares and our number three contender was um, Anthony Krola. And the number two contender wasn't much better than Krola. It was uh, Dejan Z- Z- Zatlatikan. Remember that guy? The guy yeah, who Michael Garcia destroyed? Golden Boy? You fight on Golden Boy cards a lot? No, he didn't. I don't know who he fought on, what cards he fought. I think he was a oh. PBC fighter. Dejan Mikey. was his name. Mikey he never, Garcia. He, got, he gave um, Ricky Hatton. Not Ricky Hatton. Ricky, um, he gave um, the Scottish dude. Um, Ricky Burns? He gave Ricky Burns. Did he shock Ricky Burns? He might have upset Ricky Burns. Or no, maybe he just gave him a tough fight. I don't remember, but he was a good, he was a solid lightweight. But he worked all, he got his way all the way up number two in our rankings. But so it was like, we put it like the, 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 the rules in Ring Magazine is a vacant belt is either between number one and number, if it's number one versus number two, the belt is automatically on the line. But in some situations, we can do number one versus number three. And we put it up for, it was a close vote, but we put it up for a vote. Um, and the panel narrowly voted to, to allow the, the the Ring Magazine title to be on the line when Linares fought Krola. Uh, and Linares won that fight. It was a pretty good fight. Um, and then they had a rematch, and Linares definitely won, you know, kind of stepped it up a notch and showed his class and all that. And then tried, tried like hell to make a fight with Mikey Garcia, and Garcia teased him, gave everybody a golden boy blue balls and uh, and then you know finally they were able to work out a, a a deal you know where you know their fighter crossed the street at the time golden boy which backs uh jorge linares uh, they had a a deal with uh hbo and top rank had left hbo and and set up their partnership with espn so it was great to see them work out a deal. It wasn't like a mandatory situation. It was like, no, we want to make a really good fight. These guys want to fight each other. Um, and, and Linares left HBO to go and fight on ESPN, and it was a terrific fight. Um, and Lomachenko did what he did. Tough fight, dug deep, got the 10th round stoppage, and he's been Ring Magazine champion ever since. So when he wins, when he won that title, the first thing we did was, uh, so we had like a, a generic belt at ringside so he could, you know, hold it up for the pictures and all, just like we had with Tyson Fury. Cause the, you know, when he beat Deontay Wilder, that was a big concern because they didn't sometimes, sometimes the promotion is cool and they're like, yeah, you know, after the fight, bring your belt into the ring, just like the sanctioning bodies. But sometimes they're not that cool. And they're like, now the sanctioning bodies can come in there, but man, you're a member of the media. You ain't bringing that belt in here. And they don't give me the little sticker on my credential to get in there. So then it's difficult. It's like, well, how am I going to get the belt to him? Because I want the fighter who wins the title to have the title for the money shot when he takes that picture, you know? So with um, with that PBC top rank, you know, Fox, ESPN co-promotion, they weren't, they weren't mentioning the ring title, at least not a lot, you know. Didn't matter because Tyson Fury would mention it. Um, but um, I didn't have access to the ring, so I had it with me, and it just said heavyweight champion because I didn't know, you know, I didn't know who's gonna win, right? So um, right after the fight, there's a publicist named Evan Corn, young guy, young skinny dude, and it, it was kind of a madhouse in there, and the floor, and, and the media press row wasn't on the floor in front of the ring for this; they were way back, 
They were like mezzanine level or so at the back of the arena. So there's an entire floor of like VIPs um, and a lot of British folks and they were celebrating and all and (laughs) the mess of humanity between the media section and the ring. And I handed the belt to, um, to Evan Corn. I don't know how he did it, but he slipped his skinny ass through all those people, man. He was slipping and dipsy doing like, like a vintage uh, Pernell Whitaker. And he made it to the ring and he got the belt like in time, you know, for um, Jimmy Lennon Jr. to announce the new champion. And there it was. And there's all these photos with, you know, Tyson Fury with the green belt on one shoulder and that red, white, and blue belt with that, that brass front plate, just shiny as hell. I love it. It has a glow to it. Um, and that was great. I was so happy to see that. Um, and, and very pleased. Um, but when somebody, so when somebody wins a vacant belt, whether it's a Tyson Fury or a Vasily Lomachenko, the first thing I do is I shoot an email to a guy named Doug Ward with title boxing, the, the equipment company, they make our belts. And I get the information, you know, what goes on all three plates. And in a couple of weeks, they press it up and then we, we ship it out to them, you know, or if we can, if we can work out some kind of like ceremony, you know, if like as somebody who's based in Southern California, sometimes I have them send it to me and then we'll do like a press conference and do that kind of, you know, do, do it that way. But a lot of times it just ships out, you know, straight to the, straight to the fighter. For people fact, that I did that. Know- uh, with Jamel Charlo. He should have his in about a week, as a matter of fact. The junior middleweight championship. What goes on the three plates for people that don't know? Um, on the front plate, it's just, it says Ring Magazine Award. And then um, it's um, it's the division. So for Jamel Charlo, junior middleweight championship of the world. And then the fighter's name, Jamel Charlo. Um, and then on one plate, it's um, it's it's where the bout took place. So it's the it's the venue, and it's the the location. You know, the city and country, and then it's the date. And then on another belt, it's the result. It's what happened. So it's the name of the fighter who won. However, they won. You know, unanimous decision. And I'll say UD twelve, and then the fighter who lost underneath. It's kind of like it's like a snapshot in time that when when you win the belt right there. It's pretty simple, but it stands out from the other belts because, hey, it's it's less frequent. You know, the other belts kind of dilute themselves. You know, you got you got a world champion and then sometimes you got a franchise champion and then you got the interim champion and then you got the regular champion and then the super champion and then you got the diamond. You got the silver you got the gold and you're like, well, who's world champ and what does it mean? And sometimes there's meaning. It's like, well, it means he's mandatory for him or whatever. And other times it's just like, it's another belt, you know? And with us, it's hard to get it. It's hard to win the belt. And it's got, you know, it's got that, that shiny brass um, and the red, white, and blue. And, you know, it's kind of, it's nostalgic because the belt's been around for almost a hundred years. So, You've seen it in films, you know what I mean? Like Raging Bull or Rocky and stuff like that. It's it's special. And you know what? I'm proud to say that I'm proud of the boxing industry and proud of the fighters and the promoters that helped make it happen. But we've got a lot of champions. We've got more than I think we've had since the championship policy was brought back in 2002 because 
We got a heavyweight champion, Tyson Fury. We got a cruiserweight champion now with uh, Maris Breedis. We have a super middleweight champion in Callum Smith. Middleweight champion is Canelo Alvarez. We've got a newly crowned junior middleweight champion with Jermel Charlo. Man, I wish we had a welterweight champ. That would be that would help us out because that's a glamour division. But we have a junior welterweight champion in Josh Taylor. The lightweight championship is on the line this Saturday, and it's Vasily Lomachenko is the defending champion. Um, we have what's under lightweight? We've got a bantamweight champion who's awesome. He's pound for pound ranked, uh, Nioa Inouye, and his title is on the line uh, on Halloween. Um, and we have a little dude who I love, man, dude from uh, Japan, Hiroto Kiyoguchi, and he's the, the junior flyweight champion. And I'm leaving somebody out. Oh, Juan Estrada fights this month. Juan Francisco Estrada mm-hmm. is the junior bantamweight champion. So that's a lot. And now we're awarding belts to, to, to worthy female champions. So Clarissa Shields, who's the undisputed middleweight champion, is the Ring Magazine middleweight champion. And Katie Taylor, who's the undisputed lightweight champion is the Ring Magazine champion. And when Jessica McCaskill and Cecilia Brake, who's fight their rematch sometime in the first quarter of 2021, the inaugural Ring Magazine Women's Welterweight Championship will be on the line. So it's good. We're getting the brand out there. We're getting the belt out there. We're, we're, we're you know, we're crowning, to, in my estimation, in my opinion, real champions. Because the Ring Champion, it's a hard road to get there. You've got to beat a lot of good fighters to get there. Both guys have to, have to win. That's why the, the World Boxing Super Series crowned Ring Magazine champions because they had to beat multiple top contenders. And unlike other other sanctioning feet, other sanctioning bodies, there's no fee for, to defend or fight for the. No, ring. we're idiots, man. We could be making some money, right? <laughs> we got to figure out other ways to make money. You know, got to sell the magazine. You know, get more advertisers. You know, yeah, yeah. They we don't do that. Yeah, we. Uh, that's one thing. Another thing about being a, a an undisputed champion, when you have four belts or even five, I mean, we have four belts. That's like they're all taking a piece, man. <laughs> and they they take that from the fighters' purse, you know. Shoot, oh. fighters love belts, you know. Everybody does. I mean, everybody fight like fans hate on the sanctioning organizations, but the networks like it. The, the promoters like it. You know, the the publicists are always the publicists when they send out a press release. I don't care what belt the fighter has, you know, continental Americas, Latin American, whatever. <laughs> Fed Latin, you know, like they're going to, they're going to mention it, you know, that's all good. Though. It's uh, I look at them like divisional titles before you get to the championship game. You know what I mean? That's what I, I look at the, the sanctioning bodies. Cause usually the ring magazine champion, um, it's like a unification. Often it's like, you know, it's two belts coming together or three belts coming together, you know? Um, so I, um, but I don't, I, I, I don't hope it doesn't sound like I hate, I don't, I don't dislike the sanctioning. They frustrate me only when they prevent unification bouts or prevent fights from happening. Or when you get that unification bout and 30 days later, they strip the dude. I'm like, can't he be undisputed for a year? Like, like, no. You had to fight this unknown person within 30 days or we're stripping them. So we're stripping them. It's just like, that's lame, but (laughs) that's it. You know, I don't, you know, they, each sanctioning body, they do, they, I know they do good things. They really do. 
Um, and if you somehow put together like their best rules, if you unified their best rules, you would have some nice rules for boxing, you know, with, you know, in terms of weight limits and, and, and drug testing and, you know, different po- protocols and all, but uh, it's all kind of scattered, you know. Before we let you go, Dougie, just get your opinion on a few upcoming fights that have been announced. Kell Brook, Terrence Crawford. Yeah. <laughs> hey, Crawford needs to fight. It's not going to be a pay-per-view in the United States. Um, it's just going to be on ESPN. Uh, listen, Kell Brook is, um, he's, you know, in, in name and in, in terms of his experience, he's actually the best welterweight that, Crawford has fought, but he's long in the tooth and he's not just battle tested, he's battle worn. He's taken some damage. So I don't know. I mean, he's had his eye socket. Both eye sockets have been broken in fights. You know, one by Gennady Golovkin at middleweight and um, one by Errol Spence at welterweight. And he looked dried out for the Errol Spence fight. And he's been fighting at junior middleweight, but then he's going to go down to 147 for Crawford, who was a punisher. I don't know. Now, I've heard some talk like maybe it might be junior middleweight. I've heard some talk about that. But regardless, you know, I I think Brooke has seen better days and um, Crawford is still at his at his zenith. So it's it's but, you know, I I enjoy watching Crawford fight. So he's in with somebody who's who's got physical strength, who has experience. He's got a lot of talent. Um, It's just uh, I wish it was the version of Kell Brook that that beat Sean Porter, and not the version that we're getting. So, I you know I think uh, I think Crawford wins by a decision or late stoppage. And finally confirmed with a date, we have Luke Campbell, Ryan Garcia. Yeah, that's we don't we don't know where it's going to land. Probably somewhere where they can have fans. I imagine they want to try to do that. So if it happens in the states, I'm thinking maybe Texas. You know, um, um, it would be a big event in, in England, though, as well. Um, but, uh, yeah, I like it. It's a, it's a litmus test for Ryan Garcia, best fighter he's ever fought, most experienced fighter, um, an Olympic gold medalist, somebody who's been in with the best and wasn't just in there with him, won rounds, had a close fight with Jorge Linares, actually won legitimate, like more than two or three rounds against Lomachenko. So it's like, all right, you know, it, the only drawback is he's not, he's not a tremendous, he's not a big puncher. He's got good timing with his, with his punches. Uh, he's like a stylistic, he's a stylistic nightmare. He's difficult because he's tall, rangy, and he's a southpaw, and he knows how to box. Um, so it's like Ryan Garcia's athletic talent, which should show itself early. And Ryan's been sparking guys out of there. Uh, you know, versus the experience of of Luke Campbell. So you you figure Luke Campbell's got to get out of the early rounds, take him into deep waters. Um, and in the past, when Garcia has gone ten rounds, he faded a little bit. He's had some tough fights. You know, um, he struggled with uh, Jason Velez. Mm-hmm. I think I was at one thirty. Carlos uh, Morales and Carlos Morales. Morales Morales shook him up a little bit too. With a job. Yeah, so, and, and, and it looked like he got gassed in that fight. Like, he got tired, and then, and then he looked real amateurish, you know. But credit to the kid, 
he made he's made some changes since then. Now, and he's a case of somebody who looks like he's his form has improved a lot under the tutelage of Eddie Reynoso. You know, we were talking earlier about um, about uh, Valdez, Oscar Valdez, maybe not being a good fit. It seems like you know a, a boxer puncher is a good fit for um for Eddie Renoso more so than an aggressive kind of pressure dude and um um I think Garcia likes to stalk he likes to wait he likes guys to come to him and he likes to counter punch and um it seems like team Renoso team Canelo have been good for him um and he's he's physically maturing one thing we got to say about those fights against Morales and Velez he was he was clearly still growing you know, you looked at his body and the muscle, the, the musculature wasn't that mature. And now it is. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think he's better suited at 135 than at 130. Um, and he's obviously hitting a lot harder. And, and, and obviously speed's a big part of that. But I like his punch selection. So I think he's really dangerous early in the fight. And it'll become an interesting fight, an interesting contest if Luke Campbell, Campbell can get out of those early rounds and get past five or six rounds. And then we'll see really what Ryan Garcia has learned. It'll, it'll be interesting to see because he's fighting Campbell, who is obviously not, you know natural of that weight, and was you know when Ryan was coming up, he kind of always dragged people from the weight below. Yeah, that's true too. Yeah, and a lot of short guys. Yeah, a lot of short kind of stocky dudes. Where Campbell just you know he had the reach, he had the height and reach advantage. You know, not just the speed and power. Um, now here he's got speed and power, but it's not like Campbell is slow and Campbell's proven that he can time speed because he was able to land good shots against Linares and, and Lomachenko. And those guys are pretty crafty. So yeah, I think it's a real fight. I think I, it, sh- it should be looked viewed as a, a 50, 50 matchup. It really should. It's a, it's a cross, it's a classic crossroads match. Luke's coming over here for sparring at Robert Garcia's gym. Is he? Well, that's yeah. good. That's a good move. There's some good, good young, good young fighters there. I wonder if he gets in there with like, uh, geez, Victor Ortiz. <laughs> that's even sparring Victor Ortiz. That would be that would be tough. Or uh, I don't know if Jose Ramirez is there. Um, but there's a lot of young guys. You know, there's uh, Luis Correa and it's a bunch of uh, guys right around that. You know, lightweight, junior welterweight. You know, or junior lightweight. So that's good. That's that's good work. He'll need it. He'll he'll definitely need to be at his best because uh, Garcia is a tremendous talent. Well, thanks as always, Dougie, for giving me a an hour and a half of your time on this Sunday. If you want to tell everybody where they can find you on social media and anything, well, they, they got to go to ringtv.com. They got to visit the e shop. They got to go to the shop. If you're not a subscriber, go click subscribe and subscribe now because we've got some great magazines coming up. We've got some awesome special editions all next year next year 2021 in february the magazine turns 99 so all year is the countdown to 100 we're going to be doing a lot of special things so if you're not a subscriber you need to be a subscriber it's well worth the money um and if you're not a subscriber and you want to buy certain special issues like the four kings which is in its second printing you want to buy the the Gotti ward special you want to buy mike tyson special you want to buy the manny pacquiao special Go to the shop. It's ringmagshop.com. If you want to go directly to the to the website, and, and you can buy that uh, as well as a lot of really cool merch. And you can find me on Twitter. Follow me on Twitter, at Dougie Fisher. And it's the same uh, handle for uh, my Instagram. 
And we are at The Last Round 12 on Twitter and Instagram. And join us next week where we will be talking about everything that happened in the Lomachenko-Lopez fight. This is The Last Round. Thanks for supporting and listening to the show. Follow us at The Last Round 12 on social media. Rate, review, and subscribe. This is The Last Round Podcast.